go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Restoration on Easter Sunday. And how about the band today, right? I mean, yeah. Um, they're not used to having to do this twice, and neither am I. So this could get weird. Uh, but we're so glad you're here. And especially if you're new, we know that um, sometimes dropping into church... Uh, on a Sunday could be a, a nerve-wracking thing, especially one where you have to be all dressed up and looking smiley. Um, but here's the thing. We're big fans of Peeps and Cadbury eggs and all that stuff. But um, 2,000 years ago, a group of disciples of Jesus began to greet each other with a phrase and a response. They would say, he is risen. And they would respond with, man, you guys know it. Isn't that crazy? 2,000 years later. Um, and so I don't know what brings you here today. Maybe it's the promise of someone buying you lunch or, um, you know, the festivities of the day or to show off something new to wear. We're glad you're here. And if you um, are here and the, the church scene isn't your scene, let me, just, let me just share with you at the beginning here that sometimes my tendency on Easter is to um, tie up all your loose ends um, <laughs> You know, and maybe if you have some things that you're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm not really sure that this means much. Um, maybe you have a struggle with uh, the church thing in the past, or uh, maybe you have a struggle with uh, what Scripture says or the problem of evil and all these big things. I, I would love to tie up your loose ends, but we only have about 20 minutes. But I will ask a question that I think our culture continually asks over and over again. And it doesn't matter if you're in the church crowd or the or not, is who is Jesus? What, what, who is this Jesus? It's all, you know, regularly a Time Magazine cover when they had those, and uh, when it's just always the conversation, who is this Jesus? And uh, the question keeps coming up all the time. And uh, sometimes we, we respond or we, we think of Jesus as being this kind of progressive, hippie, hipster teacher guy, you know, um, and, and some people have this kind of view of Jesus like that. Some people think he's kind of like a political revolutionary, uh, kind of like Che Guevara with like a scroll or something, or some sort of a God-human avatar thing uh, that's kind of weird and mystical, <laughs> kind of a unicorn. Uh, but the reality is the question of who is Jesus is, is on people's minds sometimes, um, especially when uh, the crisis of life comes in. And the interesting thing is you get the four gospels, the four first books of the New Testament are all biographies of Jesus. Two of which written by guys who actually followed him and knew him and had a relationship with him. Two of them written by guys who kind of investigated, especially Luke, investigated the claims and the stories of Jesus and really intentionally went after that. And so, I mean, if you look at all three Gospels, if you look at all three of these biog biography accounts, what you'll find is who is Jesus kind of disseminated into kind of three different categories. The first one would be Jesus was a good teacher. He was a rabbi teacher. And yes, that's true. And is Jesus taught more and, and traveled and was kind of an itinerant teacher as he traveled and gained more of a following? His fame grew. Um, he, he, he said things that were, were powerful at the time uh, to, the, to the ears of both Jewish people and people who weren't a part of the Jewish faith. 
Um, for the last number of weeks, we've actually been in a series talking about one of Jesus' most iconic teachings called the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus lays out a vision for what the world should look like. Like, if the world was how God intended it to be, this idea of the kingdom of God, and Jesus was announcing that the kingdom of God was here, and things were going to start looking different. He talked about generosity and love and friendship and, and pursuing people and loving your enemies, not just tolerating them, and all these big ideas. And in fact, this is probably the biggest vision of what the world should look like, the kingdom of God should look like, and, and, and how it should look like to be fully f flourishing humans, so much so that Gandhi actually adopted the Sermon on the Mount as the main impetus for his teaching. And so you have this idea of Jesus being a teacher. This other idea is Jesus being a Messiah. Now, if you were a Jewish person at the time, you didn't need another teacher. You had a lot of rabbis. You had a lot of uh, different things happening in your culture, and you just didn't really need another teacher. What you really hoped for, what you really yearned for was a Messiah. Somebody that would come and fulfill what the Old Testament said would happen when the day of the Lord happened and, and, and this Messiah would come and make things right, rescue the oppressed, heal, get the Jewish people out from under Roman occupation. And the Jewish people wanted this so bad and they yearned for this so much. And most of Jesus' teaching was about the kingdom of God. And, and he announces when he shows up, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And, and, and so people are like, wait, what's happening? This guy must be more than just a teacher. And I hear this on a regular basis. And people tell this stuff, stuff like this to me all the time. They're like, you know, Jesus was all about blank, fill in the blank. Jesus was all about love. Jesus was all about forgiveness. Jesus was all about not judging people. Jesus was all about feeding the poor. And whatever your agenda is, that seems to be what Jesus was all about. And Jesus was about those things. But that wasn't primarily what Jesus was about. Jesus was about the kingdom of God. He preached it. He announced it. He said it. He lived it. And so all that other stuff is secondary, important, but secondary. He, he claimed that the kingdom of God was near, and he actually claimed not only that the kingdom of God was near, but that he was the king. That he was here to usher in that new kingdom, that new way of living. But the third thing that Jesus claimed was the most staggering of them all. And Jesus claimed to be Lord. Now the word Lord is the Greek word kyrios, which is actually a Hebrew proper name for, the, for God, Yahweh. He actually used language that claimed to be God, that claimed to be the creator of the universe. And, you know, he, he, he went around healing people. He did miracles. He cast out demons. And early on, people actually believed that he was a prophet like Elijah or Elisha. But it became clear going on from there that things were different. Things were, he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a Messiah or a good teacher. See, right after the resurrection, I mean, hours after the resurrection account, we get uh, a whole new way that the disciples and the people that followed Jesus actually related to him. And for Jewish people, 
who were staunchly monotheists. I mean, their whole life, one God, only one God, no, nobody else involved in this whole thing. They start saying a creed that Jesus is Lord, that he is risen. Now, let me, let me just read you a couple of the New Testament writers, a guy named John who followed Jesus. He said this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, he actually claims to back up what Jesus said. Colossians is a book of Colossians, a guy named Paul wrote this, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And the book of Hebrews actually says that, that Jesus was the exact representation of God. And so the point that is, the point I'm trying to get to is that within hours of the resurrection, the answer to who is Jesus started to make um, a little bit more of an intense ring to it because people were starting to worship him. And some of you might have a hard time buying the idea that the resurrection happened or that Jesus is more than just a teacher. But here at Restoration, we believe that Easter Sunday changes everything. It literally changes everything. And it's not just an important tick on the timeline of human history. That if you really investigate it, the claims that Jesus said, the teachings of Jesus, his claims against any other claim in human history, you will have to come face to face with, what, do I, what am I going to do with this? And so we believe that Jesus is more than a teacher, more than a Messiah, but he was also Lord. And because of that, um, we're going to dig into really quickly Matthew 28. It's the account of Jesus and the resurrection. It goes like this. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which was kind of a bummer for her, uh, went to look at the tomb. Just has no respect. Um, there was a violent earthquake for, the, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back to the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Go and quickly and tell, the, tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. And he said, what's up? They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Because this is like a whole different greeting than Jesus had with them before. Like, now they're not like, hey, Jesus. I mean, their whole life they were following him and they were doing all this different stuff, but now they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers, go to Galilee. There, they, will, uh, there they will see me. Uh, verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. There it is again. But some doubted. That'd be a cool mixture, right? I mean, if you're if you're really making this up, wouldn't you just say they all worshipped him? I mean, they show up 
And they start, some of them were like worshiping him, and some were like, wait a second. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty miraculous claim right there. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus does some amazing, says some amazing, really scandalous things. And at the center of all we believe as followers of Jesus is the claim that the tomb is empty, that, that this actually happened. Because if this did not happen, I mean, I don't choose your own adventure. And, and that, that, Jesus is, that Jesus is alive, not dead, that he's uh, that he is risen, that he is not far away, that he's here, that, he's, that God used this poor Galilean rabbi as king is what we believe. That, that is the good news of Jesus about the resurrection. Now, there's some interesting clues to how people responded. Maybe if you believe that Jesus was a good teacher, Jesus would, would come and he would actually give you a vision for a different way to live life, a, a way of living life that was kind of upside down to the way life had always been lived. And he would actually say things that, that would allude to the fact that you and I, uh, left to our own devices, are actually searching out kingdoms that are illusions. Uh, different ways of living that are just not going to be real. And then there's the Messiah, Jesus. And the reason why we know that um, some people believed he was a Messiah is because the Romans didn't like this Jesus. They were weary of him. They were leery of him. They, they, they saw in Jesus the ability to, to uh, you know, codify and bring together a whole bunch of people and maybe create some sort of an uprising. And what better time to do it than at Passover? And then... We kind of wonder, maybe Jesus was Lord. I mean, he said these things, he said these things so much that the Jewish leaders were so angry. And this is what ultimately got him killed. That he pushed against things that, that created quite a stir in the Jewish culture. Some people might ask, well, wouldn't, wouldn't teacher Jesus be enough? I mean, why all this Messiah Jesus and Lord Jesus stuff? Wouldn't wouldn't good teacher Jesus be good enough? I mean, here's a man who claimed to be God, yet you lived a life so great, and he became the only person to convince a sizable part of humanity that he was God. There's a famous religion scholar named Houston Smith, wrote a book called The World's Religions. In it, he writes this. He says that only Buddha and Jesus so impressed their contemporaries that they were asked not just who are you, but also what are you? What order of being do you belong to? What species do you represent? Smith goes on to make the case that these two figures, Buddha and Jesus, okay, that these two figures had characters that tr transcended ordinary human life to the degree that this question was necessary. Only those two. But he goes on to say this, the difficulty for observers was this. 
Buddha asserted with great clarity and emphasized it over and over again that he was not God. Not even an angelic or divine being. But Jesus took an approach that could not have been more different. He repeatedly and continually claimed to be God, the creator of the universe. So what do we do with that? We cannot be indifferent to it. And we can't really resolve the issue by saying that, well, Jesus was just a really, really good teacher. Because even Jesus' words betray him on that. We can't write off and, and the, the fact that he never claimed to be God because historical accounts are tested and true. I mean, there are historical accounts that are not even Scripture that say that he claimed to be God. So, what do we do with it? What we really need to do is kind of be honest with us, ourselves. I mean, in some ways, that kind of flips, flips the focus back on us a little bit. Because if resurrection means something to Jesus, if, if resurrection was the plan, if coming to earth, God coming to earth, invading humanity as a human being, dying uh, an execution's death, and then coming back to life was the plan, why? You know, this is sometimes uh, the, the Easter thing kind of gives us a window into us as human beings. There must have been a need, right? I mean, we talk about in church circles, the word is used some, and, and I think in the culture, it, the word is kind of a taboo word, except for people use it in marketing all the time. There's the word sin. There's actually an ice cream brand in, in the UK called Sin. Pretty awesome, right? Go pick up some sin. For some of you on a diet, that's really feeling it, right? But like this idea that sin is like, oh man, we're just a whole bunch of just moral reprobates. And it's so clear. And, and sometimes I think that some people think, well, I just, you know, it's this idea of just bumbling through our lives. Like we're these passive agents of entropy. But actually it's a little bit more insidious than that. Uh, that you and I have uh, like this active inclination that self-help and um, trying harder really can't suppress it. We have this active inclination to really break stuff. One of my favorite authors is this guy named Francis Spufford. And he calls sin this. He calls it a high propensity to mess things up. <laughs> this idea that you and I just in our natural wiring and our, and our formation as human beings, we have this high propensity to, to mess things up. He doesn't use the word mess things up, though. Drops a little bit more darker word in there. This idea that you and I have this, uh, this ability to break stuff really well, naturally. And, and whether it's moods or promises or relationships or people, that you and I are like always happening like this. We, are, we tend to always be at work, okay? Breaking our own well-being or breaking other people's well-beings. 
I have uh, this kid in my neighborhood. This, I think he's a kid. Drives by my house at like 90 miles an hour or something in his Subaru Forester. It's always Subaru people. Can I get an amen on that? Sorry, some of you are like, okay, I hate this guy. But this guy drives by my house and it's, I mean, he's, he's got the stupid muffler, you know, and the, the deal, like, you're really cool. And so one night, my high propensity to mess things up kicked in. I jumped in my truck. Oh, yeah. And I fall, I started looking around. The, I know he lives, I know he's like attached to somebody in the neighborhood because he's always coming through it, right? So whether he lives there or he has a girlfriend, because that wasn't a girl driving. And I'm not trying to be sexist, but they're smart and then there's dumb, right? And, and, so, and, and so I find this car, Subaru Forester, dark green. License plates ZQF430. <laughs> you know, and I, I was going to knock at the door. I was going to do the whole thing. And I, I just like, no, I suppressed my high propensity to mess things up maybe a little bit. But here's the dark part. I had one of those daydreams that were really real where I was dragging him out of his car by his neck. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but I felt it. Like I wanted it. And I, and I began to taste a little bit of my high propensity to mess things up. And, and that's just the one I felt like sharing today. It, it, the reality is, is that we have this. And the fact is that you and I can go through most of our adult life, if not all the way through our adult life, without recognizing this. We can do it. We can rationalize it. We can blame people. We can isolate ourselves. You could be someone that is absolutely, has the highest threshold of obliviousness to your own stuff, to explain it away. And the reality is you and I are more wired for hiding this and tragedy than we are for happy endings. We're just steered towards that pole. Now, if Jesus is more than just a teacher and he also claims to be Messiah and Lord, and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. He, he's saying that there's this whole new way to live, that there's a whole new reality to our lives, not a moral one, but one that's full of life. And he says things like repent, and, and that word is to turn around, actually to have a whole new way of looking at the world not just saying you're sorry. It's this idea of like, there's a whole new way of perceiving humanity in the story. Repentance is ultimately one word, it's surrender. 
And so really what this is, is to repent is to actually to say, I'm in over my head with my high propensity to mess things up. I can't fix it. I've broken more than people. I've broken relationships, promises, moods, systems. And there's humility in this repentance. And there's also grace in this repentance. See, believing in the resurrection of Jesus, the teacher, the Messiah, and the Lord doesn't mean just believing in life after death. It actually means believing in life before death. It actually means that there's this resurrection that breaks in is actually God's answer to defeating this in me and in you. And somehow in the working of that, he, he cobbles together a group of people that are trying to live out the kingdom. And God became human in Jesus, lived and died and rose again, and, and really to overwhelm our hyperpensity to mess things up with grace. Overwhelm it. Blow it away. So what does the resurrection mean? What does the resurrection of Jesus mean? It's a meaning that suffering can't take from you. It's a meaning that it doesn't have... Uh, uh, brings satisfaction, and it, it brings satisfaction far beyond your circumstance. It's a hope that can literally uh, help you face anything. See, because resurrection is just not just the beginning of the whole human age of history. It's actually a, a beginning of a whole new age in your life. That's the claim. And if you don't hear anything else today, just hear this. Jesus did not come to this earth, live and die and rise again to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. And when we say yes to Jesus, we become people begin to live and it looks different. So let's pray.